This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is November the 8th, 2019. Strong hand. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. In motion. Bitcoin is the apex predator. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. I'm offended by selling conviction. And we've got two guys here that are got a lot of conviction. They are unique beasts. They are relentless. Oh yeah, David Bennett is coming in. He's got his podcast, Bitcoin and da 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 da. And then we got Leo Weiss. He's coming in from freaking Hong Kong. Okay, so he's we're going to start it off with a little bit of a beyond Bitcoin here. Both of you guys, welcome back to the show. But Leo, tell us the latest in Hong Kong with the protests and the situation with China. The protests are very much still going on. The heat is on on the Hong Kong government and on the Chinese government. Um, it feels a bit like the government is uh, losing its mind. It feels a bit like the police is on the verge of breaking. But at the same time, things have been going on for almost half a year now. So you can imagine people's, um, yeah, people's patience is very, very thin. Um, everybody's tired. Um, there are very, very little results on, on both sides so far. Um, currently, everybody's focusing on the district council election, which is not so much uh, meaningful in a political sense, because the district council, um, which is kind of like a municipal, municipal government, um, doesn't so much have any power, doesn't really have so much any ability to legislate, um, but it is very much a referendum on people's uh, faith in the government, on people's, um, yeah, people's satisfaction with the pro-establishment uh, faction. And yeah, the pro-government leagues are expected to lose house high, which is going to like, yeah, blow their credibility wide open. Um, so for the next two or three weeks, I expect people to mainly focus on these elections and also not um, too much cause a scene in um, that nobody wants to really risk those elections being canceled. Nobody wants to give the government an excuse to um, call it off um, because it is going to be very embarrassing for uh, the Hong Kong government, the Chinese government, the pro-establishment factions and how just everybody's going to come out and uh, yeah, take away their, their, um, their vote of faith. All right, so uh, no end in sight right now <laughs> to, to, the, to the situation. Uh, David, do you have any questions uh, for Leo about the situation before we move on to crypto, Bitcoin stuff? Yeah, uh, Leo, <clears throat> um, we, being in the, I'm in the uh, panhandle of Texas, so I'm, I'm sitting pretty much square in the middle of the United States. And as of late, I'm not getting hardly any news at all about Hong Kong protests. And it, it makes me, it, well, it begs me to wonder, even though I won't, but it, it sort of begs me and probably a lot of other people to wonder, is, are the protests dying down in size at all, or is it exactly the same as it's been for a while? Um, I think compared to the peak of the October 1st weekend, so the weekend around the national holiday, when really everybody came out to put pressure on just yeah, taking away their, 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 their precious national holidays and their celebrations. Um, compared to that, it has died down. Um, but we do have hard data on the last five months, right? We do know um, how many protests there have been. We do know how many tear gas shots have been fired. We don't, do know how many, um, how many Molotov cocktails have been thrown or how many bank offices have been trashed or how many MTR stations have been disrupted. And, and so the hard data tells us that the, the heat is, is still on, um, that the pressure is still on. Um, we have experienced protests change a lot in their nature, where in June, July, most protests would still be allowed by the government. There'd be a sanctioned starting point, end point, protest route. You could neatly count how many people really took part in the protests, and that's become very difficult. Um, so for just for people to count how many people have participated has become incredibly difficult. Um, I was on the streets last Saturday 
And um, I can tell you that even though um, there were a massive amount of people around me, I don't really have a good estimate of how many people were total at the scene because all I can count is the 200 meters in front of me and the 200 meters behind me. And I know that with the given width of the street and I can roughly imagine like the density, right? So I can, in my head, like make a rough estimate that at that point there were probably 10 to 15,000 people in my, uh, in my field of view, um, which is very, very small compared to the hundreds of thousands that we've seen verified at, at previous protests. But then that's just my side of view, right? I don't know right. how many people have, were um, behind the next corner or how many people were on the other street. Um, so verifying these things has become a lot more difficult. Um, I, we do know from polling that the um, trust that people have in the government and the trust that people have in the police is continuing to go down. Um, so even though we already expected um, the government like, to, hit, to hit rock bottom in, uh, in October or September when it comes to supporters, um, we see that like, falling down even more. Um, but what we, don't, what we don't know and what we're not able to measure is how committed these people are to really like, taking their, their government head on. And what I know from, from personal anecdotes, which again is not, um, like, is not a hard metric, but it's just personal anecdotes that my friends are, um, yeah, they're considering a move abroad. They're considering to like, give up. They're not, no longer, um, they're afraid of like, that this might not be worth the fight um, and that they could uh, find a better home in Taiwan or in Canada or the United States or somewhere in Europe. Well, I've got, I've got a question about uh, the feedback that you guys have gotten. If you've gotten a positive vibe from the news, I don't know if you've heard, but since the last time we spoke in the United States, people definitely know more about China than they did before uh, through the NBA, National Basketball Association uh, situation and through the Uyghurs. Uh, that, that has really uh, become well known now, uh, what, what China is doing uh, with, with that uh, ethnic minority in, in the mainland. Have you guys, uh, you know, gotten the vibe that, that maybe you, you, through your protest you have, woke, you know, uh, informed some people about some broader issues? Um, I do think that Hong Kong is like a little bit shaken up the world and that Hong Kong maybe does get disproportionate amount of attention. Maybe Hong Kong being an international city, being a port city, being the um, Asia-Pacific headquarters of a lot of international companies um, gets a little bit more attention than maybe like East Turk uh, Turkestan gets, right? Like Xinjiang gets, like where the home of the Uyghurs get. Yeah. Um, a bit of an ironic side effect is that in the last few years, China has been systematically kicking out uh, journalists of, uh, out of Beijing, out of Shanghai. They've been denying their visas. Um, they've been like rejecting their, um, their publications. And a lot of these journalists found a home in Hong Kong. And a lot of these journalists in Hong Kong are now, yeah, giving like a, a, a the world and the, the world audience, like a very insightful view over what's happening in Hong Kong. And I'm, um, even though I'm very, um, yeah, I'm very disheartened to know what's happening about to the Uyghurs and to the Hong Kongers and to many other people in China, um, it is, very, it is also very encouraging to hear how um, people, for example, in the United States um, are realizing what's going on and are taking a stance themselves. Like we've, we've seen images from especially the gaming community and the basketball community of really standing up and saying like, no, like we have these values and we've been putting these values like pretty much at the front door of our corporations the entire time. But what are these values worth if we're not able to uphold them in the face of something like the Communist, um, Communist Party of China? And that's actually quite encouraging to see because the amount of support that Hong Kong has been getting is, uh, yeah, very, uh, very encouraging. Um, and that includes uh, Congress and now Senate of like the Hong Kong Human Rights Act. Um, which um, a lot of Hong Kongers, even though they might be, um, they might be critical of the United States, um, very much support. And uh, they do fly um, US flags in support of that. Um, even though, of course, um, they know that the United States might not be like the perfect innocent country um, that like their critics claim um, they, they, they think it is. Well, I think uh, 
the, the realization is if the United States wanted to, they could make a big difference in these protests. I mean, if we you know, cut off all trade with China or something drastic like that, it, it would be a, a, a yeah. tremendous help. Um, there is this slogan in the protest movement, and partly I believe it's a, it's a motto of the government as well. Um, if we burn, you burn with us. And it's this thought that um, people of Hong Kong are not going to be willing to just hand over what they've built, hand over their city to the Chinese government. Um, but instead, that if the people of Hong Kong are denied their basic rights and are, their basic like, ability to participate in the city, um, then they're also going to like, withdraw their consent and allow and, and kind of um, prevent somebody else from getting it. And that's, um, that's, very, that's a very dangerous viewpoint, um, partly also because the Chinese Communist Party shares it, in that they also um, believe that Hong Kong is very important to them, right? They also believe that this is a city that they've built and that they've like grown. Um, but they are um, as much willing to take that away from the people of Hong Kong, um, rather than to have it hand over to like, democratic values or or some some nebulous idea of freedom I think. wow two two very stubborn sides battling it out here all right Dave. Well, yeah yeah it's a stubborn side right but if we if we if we look at it like this it's like two children fighting right then yeah both are both are very stubborn but on one side you have the people of hong kong who have relatively um relatively understandable demands, right? Like all they want is some kind of participation in local governments. They're not asking for independence. They're not asking for the overthrow of the Communist Party. They're not asking to split the country in half. All they want is to elect their own leaders and have like a say in their local politics. And on the other side, you have the government, um, which is denying them those things. And which is saying that like, um, if, if we can't have, if we can't have like our, our loot in the local uh, economy, if we're not able to like um, exercise our power and extract the value from that economy, then nobody gets anything. And if you, if you frame it like that, I think it's a little bit clearer that if you have um, the government on one side and the population on the other side, maybe the population has a more, um, yeah, has more of a principled right for their own self-determination. Yeah. I should have said the word conviction instead of stubborn. Both sides have some conviction there. But I got, I got to say that the Hong Kong side, they're basically just saying, hey, you weren't supposed to really interfere until the year 2047, right? I mean, this is, right. in, 20, this is in 2047. Can't, can't you guys wait until 2047 like the agreement said? I mean, that, so they're definitely on the right, right side of that there. Right. Uh, it's really not very radical to demand that one side holds up its uh, side of the bargain, right? If one side promises um, and makes promises in a 50-year-long uh, 50 deal, um, then it's very much understandable to expect that one side to hold up its side of the bargain. Yeah. All right. Uh, David, any, any last questions do you have uh, on the situation before we move on to mainland China here? Well, it's not really a, a question as much as something that I've been thinking about since these protests began is, is that I, I'm not sure if we fully understand that, you know, Hong Kong has been Hong Kong and separate from China for like, was the year, the lease was 99 years. So if you look at a generation being 30 years, you've got three generations of people that have grown in a completely different path. They've grown in a completely different way and biology is strong. And it's not, I'm not just talking to, I'm not talking about physical biology here as much as if you have a whole society, as small as, as small as the boundaries of Hong Kong is, you've got millions of people that have grown up in a completely different environment. And now all of a sudden you've got them thrust head to head with some with somebody who doesn't understand any of those values and hong kongers don't understand any of the values of, com of the com chinese communist party and i was trying to figure out why anybody in the world thought that this wasn't going to happen or it wasn't going to be as bad as it was as it is and i'm all i can really say here is that i'm i'm, I'm gonna i have to side with the hong kongers because 
if you were to wake up one day in your bed in the United States or Australia or any of the Western countries that promote quote unquote democracy, and then all of a sudden, all of that's taken away from you, well, you don't have a whole lot to lose. And these guys are in this beautiful city that's been built up by their own hands for a hundred years. And then all of a sudden it's this. So I kind of, this was one of the reasons why my first question was, are the protests dying down? Because while I don't want to see anyone hurt, that's going to end up happening. But I also don't want to see them just give up because if they just give up, it doesn't, you know, it's like, it's, I don't know, the message to the rest of the world is like, yeah, you can oppress anybody you want as long as you're stronger than them for longer than them. And that's just sucks. Uh, very much, very much uh, share those views, especially if you consider how much China has been like changing over those hundred years and how much the Communist Party has been forcing these people to change and has been erasing its own culture and how this culture has been preserved in Hong Kong and how people in Hong Kong have been able to preserve not, not only their values, but also their like traditions, right? Their beliefs, um, their, their historical documents. Um, and people don't want to give that up. Like people have been growing up and, and, and seeing their, like hearing their parents grow up in a place that allowed these traditions to be upheld, allowed people to like have a stay in their own way of life. Um, and just taking that away for, from people um, is going to be very hard. And um, yeah, as long as Hong Kong, like to, to close, to close this, this uh, argument and this uh, explanation, like as long as Hong Kong is kicking, as long as Hong Kong is uh, fighting for their way of life and their, um, their, their history, their traditions, their language, um, Hong Kong is very much alive. And Hong Kong is very much like worth a place being in. All right, I, I like that. So pound that like button, everybody. These guys are linked to below their Twitter, where all, all the stuff that we talk about is gonna be linked to below. Check it out. Now, I, I wanna move to the mainland of China uh, because there's been a lot of news out, out of there lately, a lot of Bitcoin related news. <laughs> they, or are they gonna create their own cryptocurrency news, uh, their, their own cryptocurrency, their own centralized coin. They're gonna have their own Libra, who knows? What, what's going on over there, uh, Leo? What, what's going on with those um, I'm a little bit surprised and confused about that as well. So first, I was surprised over the last half year, maybe the last year, how much attention Libra has been getting from US regulators, from US media um, about what they're building. Um, and um, yeah, that attention was partly negative, right? That attention was a, a pushback of like, you're challenging our authority, you're challenging the, the status of the, the US dollar. Um, but this, um, only about like in May, June, suddenly this, uh, yeah, this uh, concerns were like swapping over to Asia. And for me, like somebody who's rooted mainly in the Bitcoin community, um, this has been part of a much longer discussion of like the viability of stable coins. And I considered this discussion to be more or less like over, right? We've had all these arguments. We've, we've, we've just debated all the pros and cons. Um, but suddenly all of Asia was discussing um, not just the, the uh, opportunities, but mainly the threats of something like Libra. And I feel like this is a discussion that's been pushed on, um, especially China. Like if you look at the People's Bank of China, it's been mainly them reacting to journalists, to businesses, um, to like the local like finance community, like pushing them about like, what are we going to do about Libra? And um, that's not so much rooted in the fear of like, if, 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 if Facebook had announced they're going to, to going to start a payment system, a global payment system, nobody would have paid attention. But if they say we're going to start a, a global blockchain payment system similar to Bitcoin, then suddenly everybody, um, everybody pays attention. Like there's this weird connection of, um, first of all, nobody of course understands like really what the technology is and what these value propositions mean. But what people do understand is that Bitcoin is not very wildly used. And yet it is potentially harmful because it has these properties. And then on the other side, you have something like Facebook, which doesn't have a currency, but everybody uses. And so in people's minds, they combine those things and they see a Bitcoin that everybody uses. 
they don't really see like uh, exactly the properties of Libra. They see a Bitcoin that everybody uses and they fear that this now makes their capital controls um, um, irrelevant and it makes their local currency redundant and it makes their monetary policy irrelevant and they get these constant questions that they have to do something about it even though some of these people in these organizations might not believe in it or might not think it's viable or might some of these people might actually understand what's going on and think this is complete nonsense and this is like too much hype about nothing but they have to now respond and they come up with this idea of like a central bank issued cryptocurrency and um, which to a cryptocurrency enthusiast like doesn't sound like much um, to an economist sounds like an interesting attempt to um, remove the banks from the equation um, remove the like remove the uh, um, like the money creation inside of banks right the uh, margin marginal um, marginal reserve um, from from banks and and but nobody really knows like the details um, so all that people seem to be concerned about is creating either some kind of um, alternative or some kind of legal framework that makes Libra irrelevant and satisfying their local press or their local finance industry that everything is going to remain the same, just 3% better. All right. So, with with where where does with well, David, I want to hear your take on before we move to China real quick. But what's your take on the Libra then? Uh, my stance hasn't changed all that much. I I think we're we're seeing reactionary events here in the United States, and and that's from things like Facebook coming up with the idea of Libra. We know it's not probably going to be a blockchain. I read something that was laughable yesterday that said, oh, well, we, it was like their CTO or one of their CEOs said something like, or the COO, I think, said something around the, the term of, we are never going to link your financial transactions with your Facebook identity. And I'm like, no, that's not true. That, that will happen. And it, it, with all the stuff that's coming out, it seems like even over here in the United States, we're grasping, or not we're, I know what I'm clinging on to, but everything else seems to be clinging on to this, this grasping at straws and everybody's changing the game of straws. There's, there's nowhere that they can actually step anymore that has a, a solid foundation that they're familiar with. Now we can walk across these moving stones in the air and, and we're completely fine because at this point we're used to massive shifts in, in, ideas and what Bitcoin is or what Bitcoin was, or now we're into second layer stuff with lightning. We're used to navigating this stuff, but people that are, have the regulatory mindset are locked in prisons. And because of that, their faltering will be pretty much epic in, in my opinion. I don't think that the Chinese stablecoin is going to be blockchain based. I don't think Libra is going to be blockchain based. I think they're going to be, all of this is going to be centralized. And now we have this story that Zuko, I was talking to you about it last night, that Zuko tweeted out from Fortune Magazine. This was uh, Brian Brooks writing on November the 4th. Uh, the time has come for a tokenized version of the dollar. Uh, and then we, we saw a story, I saw, I reported on a story yesterday out of uh, Coindesk, I think, and it was talking about how the EU wanted their own. And then the, the EU came, or some spokesperson from the EU came back and said, no, that, that story was wrong. We just want to regulate. Well, I look at all this together and I just see a whole bunch of people running around and they don't really know what's going on. And because of that, I, you know, probably naive, but it seems to me like it's pretty, it's uh, easy targets. Well, I, I say, let them all run around and not know what's going on. If they want to create their own centralized cryptocurrencies, be my guests. Um, and clearly the, the countries themselves are a little worried about a corporation printing its own money. They're, they're, they're clearly not fans of that, uh, whether it be China or whether it be uh, the United States. I, I am, I'm a fan of it. I'm like, yeah, let, them, let them do it. I, I'm just gonna stick with Bitcoin. And I'm gonna stick with, with the decentralized one. Now, uh, so we, 
part of the deal that's coming out of China is clearly uh, they want to beat Facebook to the punch, but perhaps with their own stable coin. But more so, Leo, do, are, they want to use cryptocurrency. They want to use blockchain to monitor their people, right? I mean, this is this is part of a, a larger central uh, central planning type of uh, endeavor, I would assume. Yeah, I was very much surprised when um, Xi Jinping, the chairman of the Communist Party of China, was making Bitcoin, or rather blockchain plus, as he called it, like a central policy objective um, for the next few years. Um, I didn't expect this because I, um, because very few of technology, especially technology topics, do discuss, uh, do are being discussed at the top. Um, the internet is one of these examples. Um, and artificial intelligence is one of these examples. And for blockchain suddenly to like achieve this, this level of, uh, of, of recognition, to be up there with the internet and artificial intelligence um, is very, very symbolic. Um, and it is going to change a lot of how mining operations, of how cryptocurrency exchanges, of how tokens are going to be perceived in the next years. And I do think it, it can be seen as a bit of a turnaround um, from the 2017 ICO ban and from the 2018 like um, harassment of mining operations in that a lot of this stuff, even though the government doesn't specifically say it, is now going to be a lot more acceptable. Um, but I don't know exactly um, whether this is like very well thought through and what this is exactly trying to achieve um, because I am convinced that the party is only after control. They want to control their economy. They want to control their society. And they're terrified of their own people. Like they're much more terrified of their own people than they are of like the largest military powers in the world. Like they do not spend that much effort of, of defending themselves against potential military aggressors as they are defending themselves against like potential local fringe groups turning into political organizations. And so when they say blockchain, they must mean control and they must mean um, surveillance. And um, it is very easy to imagine how they can come up with a new system that um, um, kind of like, yeah, puts, the, puts, puts these two together. For example, if we think about how the current financial system of China works, and um, you have the Central Bank of China, you have the commercial banks around it, which are like predominantly state owned. Um, but state-owned means some of them are, are centrally, like st uh, state, uh, federal state-owned, as we call in the U.S., or some of them are provincially state-owned. Um, and then you have the tech companies. And the tech companies like Tencent and Alibaba, of course, they're all on board with like the Communist Party agenda, and none of them would ever like um, conflict with their vision. But they are still different power centers, and they still hold different information. And we've had instances, for example, where Tencent and Alibaba have refused to give up loan information to the government, saying that this is like their proprietary data and they're not going to share that with the government. So we have seen a bit of that, um, uh, yeah, a bit of that defiance and creating some kind of national blockchain currency would allow the central bank to take, so to take on the entire population and allow them to onboard as individual account holders. And then you're no longer gonna hold your money with Alibaba and your accounts on Alipay are no longer gonna be like Alipay to Alipay, but rather every payment you'll do in, is going to be between different accounts on your central bank um, um, balance sheets. And all that Alibaba and Tencent and the local banks are gonna do is provide you apps similar to like Bitcoin wallets that are only like a user interface to a, a commonly shared uh, payment system to which the government has perfect insight. They know at all times what is being bought, who holds what money, who transfers money to who, who sends a bribe to who, and there's not really any way of escaping, right? Because the second that be this becomes possible, um, the desire to abolish cash is going to be yeah, um, uh, very high. And, and, and they are going to find technical solutions to allow even people in, in rural places, um, even people who don't have like a large income, and um, even tourists who just always use this digital cash. 
no physical cash allowed anymore. Oh well, so this is <laughs> this is the future, and this is a. Uh... This is the direction they're going in. And so many, so many people were very pleased, you know, oh, China likes Bitcoin again. Well, China likes blockchain, but I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's, no, they're not, it's they're a darker not, side. They're not be excited about that. Yeah. That's not what they mean. Like the fact that Bitcoin rallied so much in that day um, was probably as much a surprise to them as it was to us. <laughs> oh, very good. Very interesting point there. Pound that like button. Uh, yeah, they weren't. Um, do you, you said you don't think they exactly know what they're doing. Do you think they, there are officials in the Communist Party that are stocking up on Bitcoin? Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of them would have some kind of uh, Bitcoin exposure. Um, that's uh, not necessarily a sign that Bitcoin helps the Communist Party retain its power mm -hmm. and more of a sign that a lot of its uh, members are looking for exits as well. And a lot of its members do not believe in that system either. Um, and these people are holding gold in their personal vault as much as they're holding foreign real estate in like some Dakota LLCs, you know? Yeah. Um, these people are not ideologically as aligned with the Communist Party as we think. Like a lot of them are in it for the quick buck and um, they're looking for ways to carry out their loot and Bitcoin is very much an option for that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's insurance just in case everything goes wrong. And well, it goes back to your point uh, that the government fears the people more than they feel fear an uh, invading army. So, I mean, they all have it in their back of their heads that it could fall apart at any moment, I guess. <laughs> if they, yeah, yeah. If, everybody, everybody just uh, knows that like, the, the other faction might turn against them any second. And that's why they stash their wealth abroad. That's why they um, have one foot out of the door. That's why they make sure that their offspring is ed educated abroad and has green cards and eventually in in case something goes wrong has the ability to like pull them in yeah very very good point they they, they know what's going on um all right so let's uh let's move on i'm going to ask you about uh you just came from a hong kong meetup we'll get to that in a second i wanted to uh ask a david a question though uh that uh, uh about uh DeFi. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 I on, uh, on Twitter now, it seems like there are all these people, DeFi, Ethereum, it's, it's, uh, it's the biggest thing. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of it, but I'm not blind to this. There's a lot of money flowing. There really is a lot of money. Um, a lot of companies tossing money into this. Do you, do you have any thoughts on this, Dave? Do you hear about this too? ICO 2.0. That's what I, I mean, okay. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I haven't looked in, I should probably look deeper into DeFi, but honestly, Adam, I, I can't muster the energy because I've, I haven't been here since the beginning. I've been here about, I don't know, half the lifetime of, of Bitcoin, maybe getting close, I, I guess. Um, and I've seen this ex this exact type of sentiment so many times and I've seen it catch on fire so fast so many times that I'm kind of numb. So when the whole DeFi conversation started, you know, coming out, um, I'm looking at a, at a Forbes article right now that was written back in April of this year. Why everyone in crypto is talking about DeFi. I'm like, I don't care because why was everybody talking about altcoins? because they thought they were going to get smoking rich and then they got wrecked. Why was everybody talking about ICOs? Same deal. I see this as, I don't see this as very much different. So that's why I just, I, I try Adam, I, I try to care about some things, but I just, some things I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think there's going to be a lot. I think calling it ICO 2.0 is, is probably a, a good call right there. There are gonna be a lot of people that are blindly piling into it. Now, there might be some good innovation that comes out of it. I think with the ICOs, there was even some, uh, I think one day that there, we shouldn't rely on stock markets, that any company should be able to offer stock that way. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it, it turned into a disaster, but it, it brought a lot of money into the space. So I see, I see a similar thing happening. Well, and it, there was a, you know, there was a change of sentiment. I think it's Robinhood now that either has already launched or is planning to launch the ability for your average Joe to buy one fifth of one share of stock of 
I don't know, Ford or, you know, like General Electric or something like that. Not that I would want any of those, but you know, if, if that's all it did was to allow people to be able to throw a hundred bucks at a stock, whereas before if the stock costs more than a hundred bucks, you ain't, you're not touching it. Then I'm not as bad with that, except for the fact that I'm not a fan of, of the stock market casino either. I mean, I got like Lyft and Uber and when Uber was, when they first hit the stock market, did their IPO and they were first valuated at over a billion dollars and it was multiple billions of dollars. My question was for what? Because most of the time when you're looking at a valuation of a company, you got to look at it from how much can I get for all the staplers on the desk when I liquefy this at auction? They don't, they don't own the cars. They don't own, they, they don't own the pension funds of the people driving the cars for them. They probably rent server space. If I were to liquefy Uber today, I might get a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars on office furniture. I might be, you know, stuff like that. So, I'm really wary of the valuations in the stock market across the board. So I'm not saying that the stock market is going to go down. I mean, I'm just saying that that's not my cup of tea. So. Yeah. You were going to mention loans. Yeah. Loans, the, the whole DeFi thing leading to, to loans, because that's sort of like the, the first use case, the, the second use cases will be, will be different, but the first use case, it, it, it concerns me because, and God, I hate to use the term unsophisticated investor or unsophisticated financial entity in the world, but it concerns me that people will rush out and get loans against Bitcoin or God, you know, or Ether or whatever, whatever thing is going to come down the pipe and get themselves into, into real trouble because I, I don't like regulation, but I also don't like goons showing up at my door because, you know, I've, I've got, they over leveraged themselves. So they're mad because my Bitcoin on a price price fall doesn't cover the loan that I took out six months earlier. To me, the whole thing just seems like it's a potential for a huge mess, which is if, if people want to do that, that's fine. Let people do whatever they want to do, but it just, it gives me the willies. That's all I'm saying. Oh, no. it, people are going to do, they're already wanting to do these loans and letting other people control their private keys, which is just a tremendous mistake. And we're going to talk about proof of keys in a second. Yay, yeah. yeah. Leo, have, so you just came from a, a meetup there in, in Hong Kong. Uh, it was a Bitcoin meetup, but are people talking about DeFi there also? Or what are they talking about at the meetup? Um, today, I'd say the main topic was the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission um, regulating cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, but DeFi is very much a topic also in our, in our like, chat rooms, in our meetups, um, at our gatherings, at our events. Um, it is also a contentious topic. Like, people very much see it as a, as a pyramid scheme or as a Ponzi scheme. Um, I personally see it more as like a way for Ethereum holders to... Uh, leverage themselves, right? Like uh, people have Ether and they um, put that into DeFi and then they somehow loan it out and they take these stable coins and they buy more Ether, right? So it's a way for them to, to go long, uh, to double go long. Um, and that's of course going to go horribly wrong and people are going to lose everything um, and people are going to be margin called in the, in the most uh, nefarious of ways. Uh, but it's not like culturally wise, it's not like too different from what's happening in Bitcoin, where people are also very much willing to gamble away their holdings um, through highly leveraged futures exchanges. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think DeFi is maybe a little bit um, more resistant to government influence. But if there's one thing that we learned this week from like the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commissions is that they don't seem to have the ability to regulate um, against futures exchanges either. Like we did hear the chief executive of the Hong Kong um, Securities and Futures Commission um, talk about um, Hong Kong cryptocurrency exchanges and he was very concerned that some of the largest exchanges in the world are uh, based here or pretending to be based here or pretending not to be based here while having their team here um, and offering like a variety of risky products that people seem to very much like. 
um, but that he believes are, yeah, endangering the stability of some kind of financial system that is emerging. And um, he specifically put out a warning for traders and investors in futures contracts um, because he believes this is like breaking the law and is going to get everybody wrecked, so to say. Um, but the reason probably, in my opinion, why he puts out a, an advisory rather than going out against these exchanges directly is that he doesn't have a strong legal case against them. These are very much profitable businesses and they can afford their lawyers and they have structured their businesses sometimes from the very start in a way that makes it difficult for regulators to touch them. And regulators find that terrifying. Um, and regulators are begging governments um, on, uh, to legis legislate against that and to amend, in Hong Kong it's called the Securities and Futures Ordinance, and so to amend laws that restrict these kind of trading. But um, the government is busy with other things, right? We've discussed it at the beginning of the show. Like the government has absolutely no political capital to legislate against something that the majority of the population does not give a crap about. Um, so why risk like alienating even more allies um, when, when, when you can like safely ignore it, right? Like, yeah, you, 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 you put it in, you definitely put it in the perspective there. There's, there's bigger things to worry about uh, over there now. So with the, the major takeaways, I guess, from the, the, the announcements in Hong Kong dealing with the uh, regulation or exchanges or whatever, is that the life will go on as normal for, for Bitcoin holders there and such. Um, there's, there's not going to be any big, no. I mean, they, they so want Bitcoin holders very much unaffected. If you're owning Bitcoin in Hong Kong, if you're trading Bitcoin, if you're selling and buying Bitcoin as an OTC trader, like absolutely unaffected. Um, if you're trading tokens that are similar to securities like ICOs or STOs, or uh, if you're trading futures or derivatives, um, then as a, as an investor, yeah, uh, I mean, I can only tell you the same thing, right? Like you're gonna get wrecked eventually. But um, as a uh, as a as a legal advisor, there's not that much like to to worry about, other than that you have absolutely no legal protection whatsoever. Um, as the operator of of these exchanges, um, it is um, I think it is worth pointing out that Hong Kong is not a safe space. Um, that. I have seen a couple of entrepreneurs coming here thinking, oh, but you have all these like global players being based in Hong Kong. Obviously, this is an amazing place. Um, that's not always the case. Um, that sometimes has different reasons why they're here. That sometimes just is accidental or has like historical reasons, but it's not necessarily that Hong Kong is going to like shelter you and provide you with a, um, a beneficial um, a regulatory environment. Uh, at, at your uh, at the gathering today, uh, the meetup, uh, or at, at recent ones, do people talk more about Bitcoin being a store of value, <laughs> more so than they used to, uh, as as a potential escape route out of the system, just in case? It um, I think the political turmoil in Hong Kong has very much demonstrated to us that Hong Kong is not immune from chaos and Hong Kong is not immune from like bank failure and that the system is very much at risk. So people are actually talking less about that, right? And um, people are talking about Bitcoin being a store of value when it comes to the hypothetical, um, hypothetical situation of your local government failing, of your local bank going bankrupt. When lo your local bankrupt, your local bank becoming bankrupt suddenly becomes like a a widely accepted possibility, then people just recognize Bitcoin's ability to store value in that case and no longer debate it so much. Um, so what people are, have been debating a bit today and what we have been discussing a lot over the last few weeks is um, how much can Bitcoin um, really become a, a global currency um, as opposed to just being a global like store of value? Um, and in my opinion, becoming a global currency is almost like a prerequisite um, to being a, a store of value. Like I do think the, the causality runs, um, I do think that being a store of value is like a prerequisite to being a, a global payment system, but being a global payment system is 
kind of this recursive prerequisite to this being a coming a long-term store of value. Right? So, um, but, I, but I, lots of people who disagree with me, right? Uh, lots of people who believe that Bitcoin can survive purely as a store of value, can become like a digital gold, and doesn't really have to achieve being a, a payment system. But I believe that it kind of goes like this, right? You first need a currency that has the ability to store value. And people start to store valuing in it, um, store value in it, but the store value still competes with a lot of other possible store values, some of which are completely ridiculous, right? Some of which might be um, some of which might be artwork or even even uh, like even things like uh, metal right or aluminum right where people just say like whatever whatever holds um, like purchasing value I'm gonna buy it um, and for Bitcoin then to actually succeed um, for Bitcoin to then really um, yeah kind of eat up that massive chunk of, of, of capital and um, it needs to have like some natural demand in the form of payments and that people want to take it as a form of payment where people might accept uh, when people might want to store their capital in in a couple of tons of steel bars or in real estate or in in the form of uh, um, a, in the form of a business um, they might not accept that as payment, um, but if Bitcoin, if people accept Bitcoin as payment on a large um, on a large scale, um, then this system has the ability to yeah grow like hundred times larger than it would as a store of value, and that really make and that's what recursively makes it the, uh, possible to store value in it. That there's a natural demand for people to take to take payment. Do you see it getting closer to being a payment system? Any, anyone working on innovation over there? Um, so two of my three beers um, that I paid for today um, were paid in Lightning. Um, not that I drank all of these three beers, but I did pay for all three of them. And both of the Lightning payments worked instantly. And I do think that's a pretty, uh, pretty, solid, um, a pretty solid step. Um, to making uh, making this work, um, because if we want to put all our payments on chain, um, we're not going to be able to do that for a hundred million people of, uh, of of planet Earth. Um, but with Lightning, we can. And for maybe then from a hundred million people going to a billion people or going to ten billion people, we're going to need some additional ideas. Um, but I'm also confident that we're going to be able to come up with that. And even if we can't, creating a global payment system for 100 million people um, is an extraordinary um, achievement. David, your thoughts on this uh, payment system, you know, some big, big general themes here of Bitcoin we got into. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with Leo. Um, one of the things that, that I think about, because my my background is in biological sciences. I can't help but to look at this entire situation as a, as an organism. Bitcoin's place as an organ inside of the world, which is the general organism here. And when I look at when people when people say Bitcoin's going to replace the banks, my first response used to be hell yeah, and now it's like no, it won't. It will be parallel. It will be like the lymphatic system of the human being. And then there like there, it'll be, it'll be a second circulatory system. And then w if one has trouble, then the other one kind of takes up slack, but having a parallel system also kind of in the, both the systems kind of inform each other that you kind of need to be on better behavior. I think Bitcoin will make banks behave better, not now later, I don't know if I'll still be alive because the ingrained, you know, the, the, the really garbage things that, that especially central banks, I don't have a problem with my neighborhood bank. I have a problem with central banks. To me, there is actually a difference between the guy that gives you the home loan and the central bank that made the backing of that home loan ridiculously stupid. So the guy down the street's trying to help. He just happens to be giving me an instrument that may get me in trouble and, I don't blame him for that. I blame the people for designing the instrument. So as a parallel system, Bitcoin and well, I'm just going to say Bitcoin. 
I think it will be able to take a lot of volume, especially with lightning. I emptied my tip and uh, my tip and dot me account into bottle pay just because I was playing with it. I made 15 transactions of 10,000 sats apiece within, I don't know, three or four minutes of each other. Every single one of them was instant. None of them failed. There was no routing failures whatsoever. I look at lightning. I look at get paid. I look at, uh, or get pay. I look at fold. I look at like all these different systems. Um, Oh God, who all these different things where the lightning network, I just saw the, the other, uh, yesterday, I'll, I'll, I'll have it on the show tomorrow. Uh, sphinx.com. Sphinx is a chat app that is, that has payments built in and it uses predominantly or it uses only the lightning network to make those payments in the chat app. It's the whole, the spread of lightning is like wildfire, man. And I, I think on chain, on chain settlement would be good if you're buying a house buying a beer or three. No, I don't want to settle on chain for that. I don't need that. I, and I don't feel bad saying that either. I, it's a beer or a cup of coffee. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't point, see like yeah, a steak sandwich. You know, if I want to buy a side of beef to feed my family meat for like a year, I might consider on chain payment for that because you know, you're going to, you're going to be pumping 1600 bucks or 800 bucks, depending on where you're at or what kind of beef you're buying. Right now, without atomic multipath payments, Lightning is not going to be able to handle that. But when we get AMP, the atomic multipath payments, we might be looking at, at being able to transact on Lightning at tens of thousands of dollars at a time. We just don't know yet. And, and that's my huge caution to everybody is stop looking at what's going on right now and engaging the future against the tech that you see now or the failures of tech that you see now. We don't know what's coming. Nobody saw lightning on the horizon seven years ago. And now look, what else is coming? I, I like that attitude. Pound that like button, people. You don't, it, No one could have predicted that seven years ago. You're absolutely right. And I, that's what I mean. All sorts of solutions, all sorts of creative minds working. Innovate. That innovation that's going on. We, we'll see. I am looking forward to the 2020s, the, uh, the golden age here. Now, I, I want to pivot to uh, well something that's going to take place on January 3rd, 2020, actually. Uh, Proof of Keys, Trace Mayer is talking about it again. He promoted it last year. Everybody get their Bitcoin off of exchanges or third parties on this by that day. See what happens. See if any exchange, who, who really has the Bitcoin that they say they do. Now, um, one little twist that he added theoretically and which, intri <laughs> which intrigued me, which intrigued me. And I just want to hear your, your, your take on this, uh, David. Uh, if uh, someone, someone out there creates an airdrop, uh, a proof of keys airdrop coin that will really encourage people not to have their coins anywhere else but under their control on those days, on that day, by January the 3rd. Uh, so they will receive this airdrop coin. Did you... Did you have any uh, opinion on that, Dave? Yeah, I'm actually looking at Trace's tweet. Let me just read it for your for your audience here. Uh, this was out of uh, on November the fourth. Not really a fan of altcoins, but I do think a proof of keys coin could be fun, especially if its wallet had atomic swaps for Bitcoin built in. Would be best if it were an annual airdrop with a snapshot on each January the fourth then there would be cumulative economic effect thoughts. And then it's a poll. I voted a horrible idea. <laughs> and again, allergic reaction to any kind of, of, well, I don't want to say the, the full world S coin coinery. Well, we'll yeah. <laughs> you're, you're the, yeah. um, I love trace though. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm, I'm think it's a horrible idea. I, it's just, it, uh, it's for me, it's a reaction yeah. of God, not one more coin, yeah. you know, like the, it, as if we weren't in the weeds enough as it is. And I think a lot of people were taken aback that trace because, especially because of his history and especially because of his staunch, his, his standpoint that being staunch on Bitcoin really messed people up. Now, after looking at it a little bit more, I still think that a coin being involved in this is a bad idea. However, 
the concept of being able to take a snapshot on January the 4th and somehow or another be able to, I don't know, give, I mean, I'm thinking, why can't we do this with, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, for, for a coin to work and have any kind of economic value or any kind of reason why we would want to do this, it would have to have economic value, which means we're right back into ICO land. Mm-hmm. And I don't like being in ICO land because it's almost impossible. Now that we've been in it for years, it's almost impossible to get out of it. It feels like a tar pit. And, you know, I'm trying to pull my, my feet out of it. I, I'm too lazy to even sell the Litecoin that I've got chilling out on a hardware wallet because, again, <laughs> I so don't care anymore. I used to, but it's, it's just become evident. Anyway, I love the concept of proof of keys. I think it's a great idea. I, I've never engaged in proof of keys because I don't keep my Bitcoin on anything but in, in my, with my private keys. I, I am tempted, although I, I'm going to take that back because I do have some bottle pay stuff. You know, I might, because I can't settle on chain or I'm not going to settle on chain with that because you know, it might cost too much and it's not that many sats. I may, might make a gesture to proof of keys simply by moving all those sats off of bottle pay into I, some other lightning app just as a gesture. <laughs> but um, the coin, I not I got to say it. I'm not a fan. Okay. I do like how you say though, part of your reaction is based on, it isn't exactly logic. It's just like, you've got a very bad distaste uh, for uh, altcoins. You just like, you, you hear about, oh, another coin. But at the same time, you're saying it would be great if somehow people could be financially incentivized to do this. So, I mean, uh, it, I, 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 per, I, I, like, I like the idea. I like it a lot because I know it's not him creating his own coin. He could just right. pick, he could pick some dude that wants to do an altcoin. I mean, people are going to keep creating altcoins. Why not yep. just pick one that does something kind of cool and say, hey, you're the one. Do this, every, give it away for free every year. This will make, it will create a lot of publicity for the movement. I, I will tell you that. For, for yeah. What, here's what I do wish. I wish Trace would uh, really kind of like not buckle down, but sit down and write this up in a very fully fleshed, as an idea instead of just a tweet that, that elicits reaction because a tweet, you're not going to get much out of a tweet unless you put up a tweet storm. And if you're going to do that, especially on something like this, you know, a full length medium post or something like that. Trace is a wonderful writer. You know, he's, he's very skilled at it. And I would actually want, I would take the time to read that. That would be the only quote unquote white paper that I would actually read just because a it's coming out of trace um, and we, you know, he's, he's got a lot of traction for a long time in the space. So it's, we, I, I, I can't imagine him like sitting there going, Oh yes, we're good. He, he's got more money. He's probably got more money than God right now. So <laughs> I, he doesn't really need, need it no. to be this way. So again, not a fan, but I would, I would so read that paper. If he were to write that out and, and flesh it out completely, I would read that twice. I guarantee yeah, it. That is an excellent point. It de- definitely a, a tweet is just going to cause people to give short little reactions, just like it was a short little tweet. He, I think he could flesh this out beautifully. I think, hey, Trace, if you're watching, you fl- flesh that baby out. Don't, uh, the, the tweet was a good way to introduce the idea, but bring it to the next level. And I think uh, it, it'll be interesting. Leo, do you have thoughts on uh, proof of keys? I very much share uh, David's sentiment. Um, for proof of keys in the way that uh, Trey Myers imagines it to work, it needs some kind of value, right? And I don't understand what gives this altcoin value. Like, who's going to buy this thing that was given to people purely as a value of, like, holding their own Bitcoin? And if it really has value, then I also see exchanges, like, kind of, like, starting to offer this as a service, right? It's kind of, like, a, a kind of crediting people... Um, their their airdrop coin in the same way as exchanges um, gave people access to their Bitcoin cash or their to their Bitcoin SV. And then again, the entire thing doesn't work if people are, are then relying on their exchanges and saying like, oh, I don't want to have to deal with like making sure that my Bitcoin are withdrawn to my own wallet um, at the right time. But like, I'm just going to use the exchange that promises to do that for me, right? And so I don't really see it either 
um, working from the value side or working from the practical side. And I think people should like be very much reminded to, yeah, not trust their exchange. Like an exchange is like a, uh, is like a, a little Forex office at the airport that you approach and you're not going to leave your spot until you have gotten your change back. Right. And you're not going to just like show up at a, at a Forex booth and say, here's my U S dollars. I'm going to wait for my Korean one and just like pick them up whenever I trust you guys. Like you're going to get that cash right away. And I think that's how we should be looking at Bitcoin exchanges too. Um, and that I don't really see a, a, a reason for why people put the Bitcoin in. And um, maybe we just need to remind our friends and our family that these are not, um, that, that Bitcoin is very much going to be around in 10 years, but their Bitcoin exchange might not be. And they're going to be able to save a lot of hassle and money um, by withdrawing the Bitcoin like right now. Like pause the show, log into your Bitcoin exchange, withdraw your coin, and then continue watching the show. Do now. Well, that, and that, that is Trace's main point, to do exactly that. To do, to do th that is the whole point of the Proof of Keys yeah. uh, uh, movement. Yeah. But he had a little spin on it there. And I will say this, the exchanges that are lying about the Bitcoin <laughs> that they say they have, um, they won't be able to credit people their Proof of Key coin because they won't be able to get it. And that will help call them out as being liars. So I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be as, uh, you said it kind of defeats the purpose because all, all these, well, the, there will be legitimate exchanges that will offer that service to give the proof of key coins uh, for, you know, do, do it for their clients. But then some exchanges will not be able to do it because they don't actually have the Bitcoin. So it might, it, it might you know, help prove the point that these guys don't actually have the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, we're getting here toward the end of the show here. Um, I want everybody to give their conclusionary remarks, anything that was left out, any, any uh, news you wanted to say. Uh, we'll start with David. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on this idea that I got from uh, uh, Novak had, had tweeted out something. Let me see if I can't find it again. Um, yeah, Rodolfo Novak of CoinKite and the, the igniter of uh, open dime and, and cold card and stuff like that. He had a tweet that was referencing another tweet. He said, now this would make an awesome hardware wallet. And what he's referencing is this handheld C64 or a Commodore, Commodore HX64. It's a 3d rendering. And it's, it, the thing is, it's not real. It's a, it's somebody decided that they would take all the visual elements of Commodore 64 and turn it into this 3D model that had cassettes, like old tape cassettes that you would shove into it so that you could play old 60, Commodore 64 games. Well, knowing Novak and his penchant for older tech, it doesn't surprise me that he tweeted this out as to how this would make an awesome hardware wallet. Well, I kind of latched onto that and, and tweeted his tweet back out and it says, I may not, it may not be the worst idea for a group of developers to go full on building Bitcoin on really old tech in conjunction with, and it would have to be this way, developers building on the very latest tech looking forward into the future. And like, and I end it with radio comes to mind. And I'm like a huge fan of this thing with like Rodolfo does it every once in a while, but some other people have gotten into it where they're transmitting transactions over ham radio and somehow or another, it gets picked up by a receiver, put on the mesh network, and at the end funnel of the mesh network is something that goes to the uh, Blockstream satellite. And when I look at this, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, this is part of the whole deal of why I look at this whole space as an organism. It's growing organically, and it's using what – it's scavenging whatever material it can from the earth, or in this case, the earth being our store of technology, old present, future, that kind of thing. And I think that a steampunk Bitcoin would be an awesome way to go for some people who are able to, like, radio transactions, I like that idea because it's an ancillary system to, like, the general telecommunication systems. Um, eventually, you're going to have to get to a miner for an on-chain thing. But a, tr a, a lightning network transmission can be done I haven't seen it done, but it could be, it's, it's not impossible for it to be on radio. And it, you know, like I, what I'm saying here is that 
a steampunk Bitcoin thing would be really cool as a hedge against the tech, our future technologies and our present technology somehow being deprecated by state actors. Actually, I should mention all the things that we can't think of instead of trying to list the things that we can. So I wanted to bring that up as my last note. Yeah, I like that old school insurance policy there, like bringing it, bringing it down to old technology to, to insure against uh, uh, future threats. I, I like that. All right, Yeah, Leo. so hardening. Yes, indeed. We got uh, five minutes here, Leo. The floor is yours. I very much want to have a, a separate conversation sometime uh, with David about like Bitcoin being an organism. This is also something that very much fascinates me. I think um, Bitcoin as an organism makes a lot more sense than like Bitcoin as a network for us to be unable and like we're not even the, the people who created Bitcoin, right? Have any idea of how to shut it off. Like it's something that you kind of birth that you kind of like give life and then it runs away and does its own thing. And I feel a lot of the time when we interact with Bitcoin, it's, it's more Bitcoin incentivizing us to do something than us like really, um, than really us controlling Bitcoin. Uh, for us to, to run mining operations, that's like Bitcoin telling us like, hey, like give me energy and I will give you value in exchange. That's not so much us saying like, I'm gonna turn on Bitcoin by by like running these hashes um, for even for things like um, for even for things like UASF, right? Um, it's, it's kind of Bitcoin telling us like, Hey, like fight for me, like um, uh, keep me together. Keep me, keep me in, keep me in, in one chain. And I find that uh, very beautiful. So yeah, just, uh, just a, a few uh, ideas. Uh, very much want to continue that conversation sometime. Absolutely. That, all I have to say is Guang Fuk Hong Kong, Si Doi Gap Meng, Reclaim Hong Kong, Revolution of Our Times. Um, thank you for, for paying attention to what's happening in Hong Kong. It is very much a fight that's not only relevant to Hong Kong, but relevant to the entire world. And if we don't fight it now, we're going to have to fight it in, in a thousand different places around the world um, because the Chinese Communist Party is not going to stop at Hong Kong, but they are going to continue their expansionist plans around Taiwan is next, yep. um, Australia, the United States, um, campuses around the world and governments uh, everywhere are going. It's, going. it's coming to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, you, yeah, David, you got to have him on your show, man. So speaking about David's show, it is linked to below. He's got a great podcast. Uh, we'll link to the Hong Kong meet. We'll link to everybody's pertinent links. Uh, we'll be uh, linked to below. Remember, this week in Bitcoin is every Friday here. I do a new show on my channel every day. Saturday is Beyond Bitcoin. Every other day is the One Bitcoin Show. You know we got the conviction. A new show here every single day. So thank you very much, guest. Uh, it's been a great one today. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember to subscribe to this channel, like this video, share this video. Check out the, the links below, of course. Pound that like button. Shabbat shalom. See you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.